And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike, in a moment as we bring you yet another Oscar race checkpoint because the news just won't stop. Uh, most of it related to and surrounding award season as it is, Michael. Yeah, the Venice Film Festival wrapped. We got Christopher Nolan news up top. We got major trailers and preview stuff, and we got uh, award shows changing their rules willy-nilly. It's uh, Yeah, it's definitely a checkpoint that is very necessary right now. Then we can start with one of the biggest names. It, it was the biggest name and the biggest movie of this time in 2020 uh, when we were, you know, in the middle of a pandemic that's definitely over and no longer concerned for anyone whatsoever. <laughs> uh, more on that as we talk about all these things going on in Hollywood. But we can talk about Christopher Nolan. He made a, a little headline news today. Yeah, Tenet 2 has been greenlit. No, <laughs> no, that's not it at all. He is taking his rumored... J. Robert Oppenheimer, his rumored Manhattan Project film to Universal, Michael, leaving Warner Brothers, where he spent over two decades. Cillian Murphy is following him. He's supposedly playing the lead role in this, but that's just rumored right now. What do you think of Christopher Nolan jumping ship? This time, it's understandable. (laughs) Um, I I don't have a take beyond, really, uh, what I tweeted, which was my instant take and the more i think about it the more i get behind it which is the beauty of an echo chamber without talking to other (laughs) human beings um go get your money christopher nolan i mean lord knows you've done enough in this business you should go to the highest bidder you should go to where you think your art is going to be most you know exemplified and honored and shown the right way etc etc could you imagine though being Mm a wb executive after the backflips this guy put you through last year, which we reported on all throughout our ORRCs and, right. and all these updates throughout award season with what was going on with Tenet and how they moved it back, but they wanted to move it back farther, but he kept resisting and they, then they moved it up and he wanted he wanted it moved up more and he, he refused to let it go to streaming. It had to stay in theaters, so it really hurt their domestic box office because they put it out and it was, you know, a pandemic and it did nothing during the pandemic and it weeped for the numbers that Shang-Chi just did mm-hmm. for Disney during this year's pandemic and blah 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 imagine that guy who you kind of did this to i mean yes he's made you a ton of money over the previous two decades Mm -hmm. but doing all that for what was supposed to be one of your tentpole films of 2020 and then his next movie he's like i'm gonna go across the street and see what they got cooking in their kitchen (laughs) yes however I'm on Nolan's side. I'm on Nolan's side here. I'm not siding with WB at all. I'm just, that's the the first thing that came to my mind was like, wow. But you know what? Leadership would have told Nolan off. You know, good, strong enough leadership would have said, enough. We need you to make $500 million stateside where this movie is going to play best. And that is what Christopher Nolan blockbusters typically do, mm-hmm. especially the ones that are going a mile a minute in terms of the dialogue in English. So you can't have that one go overseas. It did really well overseas, all things considering. And it had a $350 million take. Obviously, that wasn't enough worldwide. And maybe it did well on streaming. Maybe it didn't. We'll never know. But certainly, Christopher Nolan 
should not have had the power he had to force it in front of a global pandemic. Like we said at the time, we were we're on Nolan's side, but still we were like, WB is right. Fucking move this for another 18 months. We said and that for a year. I, right. And yet, how do you, if you are WB, tell the guy who did make you all that money with every previous film and like reinvigorated the DCEU in a way as well and like made Batman even as watchable or as desirable as it was during the 80s with Keaton and Jack Nicholson? Like, how do you tell that guy? How do you put your foot down after that film has been completed and he did it for you? I, I, I really I don't know the right way about this. I think, I think you're right in saying that, you know, it <laughs> WB got hosed here. <laughs> Hindsight is 2020, right? I mean, yeah. we're, we're taking this tone right now and it's probably unfair. It is unfair. It is unfair because everybody's been flying blind with this pandemic. Uh, and, and so have we, even though we've, we, we've been right a few times in, in big ways. That yeah. was one of them. Right. Look, I think Christopher Nolan should have been they should have said no to him unfortunately they used him as leverage to change their entire release policy after his film right and that's a good point and that kind of became you know he became persona non grata by association to all these other filmmakers in a way even though it wasn't his fault his movie failed domestically again, not his fault. And then they lit- they literally took their entire year's worth of programming and put it on HBO Max day mm-hmm. and day, and stuck to it. And and it's made them the money with HBO Max subscribers booming by 30, 40 million subs. So they've totally made those three billion dollars back. We've gone over that math before, and now they're going to change back to the forty five day window which is telling you that the, they think the box office is recovering enough to do so. And that's an incredible point by you, and I, I think it's one that's... People have to consider it, and it, it's still reverberating now through what WB is doing. I mean, if you go and read, you know, The Many Saints of Newark just released another trailer. We, we just pulled it. We're yeah. not going to cover it. But if you go and read, my only take for that trailer anyway was go read the interview that I think it was Deadline or The Hollywood Reporter did with David Chase. The guy's furious that that movie's going to HBO Max, and he says outright, if if I knew that it was going to go streaming or day and date, I wouldn't have made the movie. So this is still having serious repercussions today, and you're absolutely right. I mean, Christopher Nolan probably has ill feelings towards WB. WB probably has ill feelings towards Christopher Nolan. Everything remains to be seen as to whether or not we're going to get a slam piece leaked into the the trades one of these upcoming days. I can't imagine that actually happens because those are two top tier, you know, A plus facilities, the studio and the director. So they probably just go their separate ways and tip their cap to one another. And thanks for all the work done. But (laughs) there was definitely a political game played as a result of what happened with Tenet. There's no doubt about that. That's still being felt today. Suicide Squad wasn't great in terms of the day and date performance. Obviously, reminiscence. (laughs) was a total shit burger and then i mean cry macho that is i'm i don't have a lot of confidence for that doing well on both platforms is it doing good business for hbo max probably is probably Mm, is probably yeah but i mean david chase hasn't i mean he's been you know just sitting back collecting those checks i mean that's been his life right after the sopranos so he finally makes his sopranos movie and yeah and it's just popping up on HBO Max. There's just not the fanfare like it has been said in the trades of the director of Wonder Woman, Patty Jenkins, right? Mm-hmm. There's not the same fanfare for the, you know, feed the beast 
type of rollouts we've been seeing on the streaming services. The eyes are there, the viewership numbers are there, the subscriber numbers are there, the money is funneling in, so the studios don't give a shit. Right? Are they? I'm sure they do, but they don't care as much because they're swimming in money. They're swimming in well, subscriber yeah, it's, money. It's what we've said. I mean, their priority is streaming. That's what the priority is right now for these studios. That's just obvious. And it's if they if you believe the studios follow the money, then that's what their priority should be as well. Right. It shouldn't be theaters. Uh, it's speaking strictly financially. If I was a studio head, so it's a convoluted story. It's right. a loaded story. I wonder what's going to happen with WB Slate into 2022 i know they've already announced that they're going to do abide by different theatrical windows and things aren't going to go day and date but if this pandemic keeps up or gets stronger or grows strength and it hurts the box office like yes shang chi was a huge success story but that was also just on the heels of everyone thinking we were going to be out of covid mm-hmm. when october late october november when these award contending movies or supposed contenders come around that are supposed to be these giant blockbusters as well if those Box office numbers aren't up to snuff. I could see WB changing course and going back to day, at least announcing first quarter films. First quarter releases are going to be day and date releases as well for 2022. I think they got the goods on the HBO Max service now and they got the product coming in. I mean, the subscriber numbers, people are following the product. I think at the end of the day, and the, you know, you may get them sticking around longer than they should. There's an economics term for that. I don't remember. Like if you don't spend your gift certificate at a restaurant or whatever that term is. Anyway, it's not sunk cost. I was gonna say, well, that's, fine. that's the only. We both are equally dumb to think that's sunk cost. cost. <laughs> nope, that's not it. But we, but we do, but we do have a situation where they have now caught up and i think HBO Max is going to have enough HBO Max originals and HBO originals to you know, basically feed the beast for HBO Max to where it'll be a happy bonus if, you know, something comes back on HBO Max. But that's but they can pivot and see if they just need like a boost, right? Mm-hmm. That's what Disney Plus is. Disney Plus has been coy with it all along. They haven't committed. And they're right. like, all right, let's get a boost for subscribers because we think it all the math lines up and whatever the demographics are gonna work for Soul and bang, let's get ten million extra subscribers last Christmas. And you know, they've been doing that, they've been playing that game all along. Right. All right, yeah, good points. Good points made by you. Something we're definitely going to keep an eye on, but I guess the only thing left to comment on is the content of the film. World War II scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer, who was uh, uh, famous for being his his work towards the atomic bomb, right? Yeah, so it's a heavy subject matter for Nolan. It's not triumphant subject matter for Nolan. I mean, this is... Th- this is perhaps the darkest he's gone since mm. ironically not the dark knight but since memento mm. <laughs> right i mean what's the he hasn't told a story as heavy as this since then the joker should have won that should have been his dark story <laughs> joker would have won the dark knight rises and then yeah that's a shame. <laughs> Uh, we can move on, talk about the Venice Film Festival. They gave out their awards a couple days ago, Michael. Yeah, so the Golden Lion, in a strange turn of events, this is such a hokey copy, but I'm going to read it anyway. <laughs> the Golden Lion, Michael, went to M. Night Shyamalan's 2008 film, The Happening, starring Mark Wahlberg, 78th Venice Film Festival. No. <laughs> Le Vent Mont. I, look up, I looked up the, uh, I can't speak English after I 
flub the French line. Live on Mont, directed by Audrey Duan, has won the Golden Lion this year. So that's two European film festivals, two French films in a row mm. winning their top prizes. Yeah, the plot premise reads an adaptation of Annie or No's eponymous novel, looking back on her experience with abortion when it was still illegal in France in the 1960s. Tatan, to my knowledge anyway, was not only not in competition at Venice, but skipped Venice altogether. Hmm. Um, this winning is chapter and verse as to why I've stopped pretending to be an authority with anything valuable to say about the international feature category anymore. Because just a few short weeks ago, I sat here and I said it would shock me to see Tatan not be France's submission. And you tried, Mike. I mean, you really tried to stop me and you, you did the good co-host thing and you tried telling me France <laughs> is notorious for having a deep field and there, there's a, plenty of films to choose from every year, which in this context was just co-host speak for, hey, Mike, one, shut the fuck up. But I just bulldozed right on through. And this is what I get. Uh, you said it. France had not won a Golden Lion since the movie Cyclo or Cyclo. My apologies for the mispronunciation, which our listeners are starting to get on us about, which is a good thing because people are listening, but a bad thing because I don't learn. Anyway, Cyclo or Cyclo came out in 1995. France shared the Golden Lion that year with Vietnam for that film. Hmm. And maybe this is a little shocking, too, just talking about history and the awards uh, as far as for the country of France goes. We think of France of having this wealth of film goods yearly. Uh, they've long been a category mainstay for the international feature category at the Oscars, but the rest of the world seems to have somewhat caught up because France has only been nominated in the international feature category twice since 2010 at the Academy Awards. Uh, and like you said, Mike, just as a little cap here for my stats, not since 2002 has the same country housed both the Palme d'Or and Golden Lion winner. That was the UK, which was taken collectively, I guess, uh, for the Magdalene Sisters and the Pianist, respectively. I love those stats. So, uh, yeah, it's an exciting time for French film. Look, every five years, it's like home for Purim wins one of these festivals. Like mm -hmm. just some out of left field. That's a Christopher Guest reference for, for your consideration. <laughs> they made a movie that got Oscar buzz. It's, it's hilarious. By the way, it's probably funnier now. Like how have we not reviewed that movie yet for your consideration? We should have done an entire Christopher Guest like ology. By now. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. that's our fault. Yeah. But <laughs> Home for Purim wins the Venice Film Festival every decade. So I don't know what this means. This might be the representation in, in, in the international film category. Or Tatan might get it at the end of the day. Tatan is postured very well. It's going to be at New York Film Festival. I'm going to be there on opening night, mm -hmm. I hope, if mm -hmm. I don't have COVID again, which is a whole other odyssey of a conversation <laughs> that we had in the pre-show. I'm basically quarantining right now, so we can't review Tammy Faye this weekend, by the way. Anyway, I'm, <laughs> it's, it's what it is. <laughs> I hope to be there to see Tatan for myself and just, uh, yeah, just freak out. And I, I hope it's one of the best movies of the year, like people are saying. And we get like another huge race coming out of France for that international film spot. I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be the case or if the subject matter was perfectly timed for Venice to make a statement, Mike, mm. that they have not made in a while. So I yeah. want to tip my hat to them because of what's happening, happening in Texas. We all know what's happening. This film might've been a political statement and I, I don't blame them for that. And I support them for that. So Jane Campion won best director for the power of the dog. Maggie Gyllenhaal won best screenplay at Venice for the lost daughter. Women sl swept 
the top three composition awesome. awards at Venice. Awesome. Awesome to see. Uh, in terms of the Volpe Cups, which are the Best Actor and Actress Awards, we have John Arcila, Arquila. Again, ex- apologies. It's uh, a weakness. It's a weakness of this program pronunciation. It's a major weakness. <laughs> anyway, he won the Best Actor Award over Benedict Cumberbatch from The Power of the Dog, over Isaac I- Oscar Isaac from The Card Counter. I wonder if we could take these losses for the power of the dog for Spencer, for that matter, or are we looking at this as just Venice being Venice? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where this registers yet. And we can throw in the, uh, the Spencer quote unquote upset as well, which may have been the biggest upset of all that Kristen Stewart, despite all the praise that was thrown upon her for her performance in Spencer, didn't win best actress at the Venice film festival. Uh, that ended up going to Penelope Cruz for parallel mothers, uh, which we've covered a lot on this program too. But uh, to me, none of these seem as like earth shatteringly Z O M G WTF is going on. There's some teen speak for your kids about (laughs) as Joker winning the golden Lion a couple years ago did like that. That felt like something that was going to majorly impact, awards races to comes this one I, i'm with you i don't know the relevance of it yet i can't really have i don't have my finger on it i think probably that's due in part because these are films that we weren't really expecting to go the awards didn't go the way we thought they would quite frankly so we didn't really spend time previewing and doing research and doing our due diligence on these films now we obviously have to and so it remains to be seen at least from the mmo perspective uh where this is going to go and what we can kind of read the tea leaves for all these different categories and whether or not they have oscars relevance to them Penelope Cruz taking the Best Actress, though, for Parallel Mothers, that is a statement, and that is something in her favor, I would say. Yes, uh, agree. You know, pound for pound, going against a couple other contenders like Olivia Coleman, Kirsten Dunst, and, of course, the queen, the obvious queen of the festival, Kristen Stewart, mm-hmm. for, 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 for Spencer there. Uh, princess of the festival, if you, if, if you would. That would have been a better analogy to use. But, all right, we do have Tiff beginning, Mike, so we got another slate of first reactions. It's the end of Venice, start of TIFF, stock up, stock divisive is the little <laughs> game we play here because we have new terminology. It is what mm-hmm. it is. But right. stock up, three movies real quick. The Guilty looks like a showcase for Jake Gyllenhaal. Trailer review coming at the end of the episode. The Humans, terrible title, but a really good performance <laughs> by Richard Jenkins, Stephen Young getting some oscar buzz it's a play it sounds like it's a cool genre bender i'm Mm -hmm. in for that can't wait to see it the survivor which is barry levinson's film about world war ii concentration camp survivor turned boxer or restarting his boxing career harry haft played by ben foster we previewed it before yeah it's getting it's in bidding wars right now in terms of acquisitions i don't know if it's been acquired yet i should have researched that but three movies stock up no doubt about it all those too. A lot of the heavy on the titles of these movies going. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to see where The Survivor does end up. I remember, I mean, having Ben Foster playing that boxer kind of like rang in my memory when I read uh, your copy here. I was like, oh yeah, I remember us uh, having our eyes and ears on that one a while back. So like you, I'm curious to see where that one does end up. What about some divisive stocks that are coming out of these film festivals, Michael? And if you don't know why we're using that word, uh, go check out our previous episode t- entitled, this episode is Divisive. Yes, yes, that was a big hit, that episode, so I really appreciate it. But yes, Stock Divisive, number one, The Last Duel. Okay, 
Why am I putting the last duel here? Because film Twitter and the tomato meter are not in sync on the last duel. This is very strange because every tweet I seem to read about The Last Duel, Mike, has been very positive. Jodie Comer getting a lot of buzz, Oscar buzz, legit. People are just swooning over her like we did when we Mm -hmm. reviewed the trailer. However, it's stock divisive for a couple of reasons. Number one, the subject matter, trigger warnings abound. It's one of the most famous rape cases in trial history. Mm -hmm. I just finished listening to the audiobook. Now, I thought they did a really nice job in the audiobook, but it's just so grimy. The medieval violence is so grotesque. It really Mm. grossed me out. Obviously, that event, which they handle without ambiguity. Take what you want from that. And then you have the duel. Like, you cannot put the book down. Like, you just cannot walk away from Marguerite's story there. The book is that just absorbing. So that's good news. I think this is a scathing critique, at least on paper. Right. Okay. Critique of the times, critique of the patriarchy. I don't know if it's going to come across on film. And that's where we get some divisiveness, some Realistic divisiveness, Mike. So Jessica Kiang of The Playlist has this first uh, snapshot review here. Yeah, her take was, This exists primarily as an excuse for a bunch of charismatic stars to ride horses and snarl at each other by candlelight en route to a genuinely exciting dueling douchebag climax. (laughs) Anahit Beirouz of One Room with a View She writes, it makes a sick kind of sense that corporate Hollywood turned women's overwhelming rage into something so reassuring and so trite. Don't like that. I I mean, I guess in reading all these reviews and the mixture between what the tomato meter says and what some critics say is like at least Matt Damon, Ben Affleck and and Ridley Scott here at some point were all in a room together, theoretically. And while reading the script, someone had the good sense to pipe up and be like, you guys think we should bring in a woman to write the woman part here? Yeah. (laughs) And that's how Nicole Hollis got involved. So that, I guess, credit to them for that question mark. I'm not looking forward to this. Like I said, I think the story has the ability to. And again, I'm just some guy. Mm -hmm. So what the hell do I know? But the story has the ability to critique this. I don't know if they'll... they'll In the hands of Ridley Scott? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Nicole Hall of Center, Jody <sighs> Comer. I hope so. I hope, I hope you're so right. too. 64% on 14 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. What does that mean? It's fucking binary when it shouldn't be. 7.9 <laughs> out of 10 IMDb on uh, 164 audience ratings, a 60 meta score. Who the hell knows? Here's what I do know. Dear Evan Hansen is truly <laughs> divisive, Michael. 23 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, 52%. 39 meta score. Jeez. Some people are arguing, like our favorite people on film Twitter are arguing, this is going to get nominated for Oscars. No, it's not. Yeah. All the directors hated it. 4.6 out of 10 on IMDb in terms of audience ratings, which is basically people who saw it at the festival. Stephen Chabosky 
perks of being a wallflower. He's done some good films. The ageful Ben Platt. <laughs> I didn't say ageless. Everybody says ageless. He's ageful. But he he's looks very great old. in all the red carpets. He was on the Met Gala last night. The dude looks great. He looks like yeah. he's in late 20s. Like in his normal life, he looks like he's in his late 20s. He looks he better looks than you and me. Awesome for a mid 40 year old guy going through. <laughs> Whatever middle life crisis. Look, Going I don't know the, the Benjamin Button. Yeah, <laughs> through the yeah. A, you know, Jack Age. No. <laughs> I don't know uh, Dear Evan Hansen at all to begin with. My only exposure to it prior to us reviewing the trailer was knowing that it was a musical in the first place. Yeah, in one of the more popular ones at that. But apparently, from what I read on film Twitter, anyway, there's the story in the musical may already be problematic before you get to the part. Of how there's a clearly middle-aged man posing as a high schooler like Steve Buscemi in that "How do you do, fellow youths?" <laughs> gift from Thirty Rock. Uh-huh. So no, it's from uh, that's from one of the Adam Sandler films, isn't it? No, it's Thirty. I'm almost I'm almost positive that's a Thirty Rock uh, reference, but neither here nor there. I don't the, remember. That's Benjamin Platt. Is my point. And what it's if we both make the got viewing... the reference wrong? By the way, that's <laughs> pr- that's possible. It's it's probable. I would say at this point, it is. It is. Uh, <laughs> it's late for us. It's like almost almost eight o'clock. Um, I, I have issue. I want to see the last duel more than I want to see Dear Evan Hansen. I guess is where I land. All right, the Forgiven stock divisive on the Forgiven. John Michael McDonough. He's Martin's brother. This is starring Jessica Chastain, Ralph Fiennes, Tim Grierson, excuse me, of Screen Daily. He said, The Forgiven examines the lives of some callous, rich Westerners partying in Morocco. He loves the atmosphere, but he doesn't love the execution. 7.2 out of 10, though, on IMDb. 23 ratings, though it's early. Stock divisive, I would say. I read a lot of film Twitter stuff that was up and down. Uh, also up and down is stuff that we have coming out from the first looks of the eyes of Tammy Faye, Mike. Yeah, so this is strange. Again, you read film Twitter, and a lot of people we trust are pretty much high on the eyes of Tammy mm-hmm. Faye, and yet Rotten Tomatoes is down on it, and then we do see some outliers very down on it. So, yeah, 71% on Rotten Tomatoes are up, but because it's not 100%, we do therefore have to call it divisive. Again, listen to the last episode. <laughs> but, all right, here's let me read Katie Reif's AV Club uh, snippet. While Showalter relishes the camp value of the film's costumes, makeups, and set design, make no mistake, this is a sympathetic portrait. Again, it's hard to ga- gather anything from that, but for better or worse, we're on Tammy Faye's side, but the film often embraces the worst bits of a complicated story in order to make Tammy Faye look better. Why not make her look more real, makeup and all? That's Kate Erbland. We trust her yeah. taste. At IndieWire. So, stock divisive, I would still say, unfortunately. It's almost as if they don't know who to market this movie to. That's weird. I thought the story... (laughs) I'm such... I'm just a dick. I I thought this story... um, The Tammy Faye Baker story... Here's the fourth time I'm trying to start this thought. I thought was one of a woman who was kind of roped into this scheme by her husband. That apparently is not the case or the impression that people older than me, who this story was more relevant and in the headlines for, it's a little before my time, uh, they don't see Tammy Faye Baker in that way. That's not how they think of them. At least the ones, a couple people I talk to. Um, uh-huh. I have very <laughs> strong opinions about this, by the way. Oh, oh do you? Okay. So is well, I grew how- up during this. I think they're a pack of liars stealing everybody's money. That's what okay. I think. But I have so- baggage, let me be honest. And I was we were talking to some friends in DMs today. 
be honest, we have religious baggage here. Sure, and if that's the case, and if this movie does just paint her side of this story all rose-colored like, that's going to narrow down the availability of who this is for in the first place anyway, isn't it? Aren't you going to turn off a bunch of people that are coming to this for like some kind of a e-true Hollywood story type retelling? Well, that's what I was wondering. Like, do will Christians get offended by this? Will Christians be like, oh, it's a Hollywood hit piece. This is a liberal hit piece. And therefore, they're going to stay away from this movie totally. Like, we almost assume that at this point. But maybe we're wrong in our assumptions. Maybe this is truly a redemption story by the end of it. Yeah, but that's going to turn off. My, my point is, wouldn't that turn off other people? Like the non-Christians who are looking for kind of a hit piece <laughs> or a retelling? Yeah, I don't know, but maybe it's not for the non-Christians. Maybe it is for the yeah. Christians. Maybe it is I, something... Michael Showalter made a movie for the Christians? We all grew up in our communities. I mean, I grew up in a Christian community. Yeah, yeah, and, it's true. you know, I love the people I grew up with, so if he made a movie that didn't offend all the people he grew up with, maybe it works. I don't know. I'm curious to see how the hair and makeup gets treated uh, as we go along here during award season. If they can, you know, Jessica Chastain and Garfield both got a lot of high praise for their roles. Chastain more so from what I saw. This could follow a Judy blueprint to Academy success if Chastain's performance is strong enough. Yeah. Maybe it rides, uh, maybe the hair and makeup kind of rides little coattails of, of that performance as well. I've heard that if you're under heavy makeup for a whole production, you ask uh, people to kiss you on the arm, the bicep, instead of... On the face. I just heard that somewhere. That's something you and I will have to test out and practice next time we're together for a recording after this COVID shit ends. I can't wait to see the movie Getty Images. It's going to be a great film. (laughs) Halloween Kills, Michael. Yes. Yes. Halloween Kills. What the the main event that everyone came here for. (laughs) 56%. Wah, wah, wah. Rotten Tomatoes. 16 reviews so far. So there's hope. 47 Metascore, though. That can't be good. 8 out of 10 IMDb audience score on 299 ratings. There's your beacon of hope. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's start rolling through some reviews. An almost elemental slasher outing, unclouded by conscience, remorse, or delusions of morality. That is from Ben Kroll of IndieWire. Ben Kroll, more like Ben must have crawled into a hole during his screening and not seen the film. Boom, roasted. Green delivers a smart, sturdy second chapter. Low consequence, perhaps, but still highly entertaining from Layla Latif of Total Film. Layla Latif, that first name is close to one which is synonymous with all that is good and just in the force and thus clearly isn't a fit for you. Boom, roasted. (laughs) This latest installment... They don't get better. They don't get better. (laughs) This latest installment is like a latex ghoul mask so stretched and shapeless it no longer fits. That's David Rooney of The Hollywood Reporter. David Rooney, how's it feel to work for the trade we cite most often yet have never mentioned your name on the show yet? Boom, roasted. (laughs) Is, is there's more okay enlarging the more <laughs> private generational pain into a sociological phenomenon for the whole town seems a viable device to keep the story growing that's savina petkova of awards watch savina petkova savina more like anita i said i need a different opinion about this movie boom roasted what i did mike was i didn't look at anything they said i just assumed it was negative and i went off their their names so you're welcome for all of that that's comedy. That is what uh, <laughs> is is comedy on Mike, Mike, and Oscar these days. Yes. No, that's very good. Uh, I think uh, your denial is your strength right now. It and has I'm to be. with yeah. you on it. I think you need to be that way until... 
The general public sees it because the critics have never embraced this series since you started liking it 20 years ago as an aspiring It's exactly what I said was going to happen at the end of our last episode. Like, they, they just mm-hmm. fawn over all the supposed contenders. Halloween Kills isn't supposed to play Venice. It's supposed to be seen at TIFF, but it's not supposed to be at Venice. It was only there because Jamie Lee Curtis was getting an award, and it's, you know, cool for her, cool for everyone to see it. But, uh, yeah, no shit, it's, it's a little... Stop it. Shut up, is my advice. That's what I say to everyone. <laughs> well, I just called you a serial murderer, and you just <laughs> rolled right over it. Uh, but, okay, Halloween Kills goes day and date with Peacock. All right. This is a bit of a moot point, because... I'm going to the movies to see Halloween Kills unless I have COVID for a second time again. <laughs> right. Uh, I appreciate you turning me on to Mr. Baloney's newsletter, by the way. It's great. Uh, because I've been heartened to see what we said at the beginning of the episode coming to fruition about streaming, driving production, about streaming, driving Hollywood dollars and where they're positioning things. Anyway, it's corroborated by this Hollywood insider and... Who needs a boost right now? Peacock needs a boost. Yeah, that's for sure. Paramount Plus needs a boost. And his last few newsletters has been talking about they have to have product. They have to have new movies to give them that boost. And we've, we've heard it from now, uh, for, from, from the beginning of this pandemic until now. And we've seen it. Original mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily television shows, but original movies have been the boosters for subscriber numbers. Are you surprised it's day and date on Peacock? I mean, I, I, the point that it should end up at on Peacock at some point, I agree with. Are you surprised they're doing day and date? I think they must have done well enough with the uh, Boss Baby. And this goes back to your theory that kids' movies and horror films <laughs> are safe plays in theaters right yeah. now. So you and me want to see Halloween Kills in a theater. Yeah. We will go to the theaters and see it, and then we'll rewatch it probably on Peacock. I also wonder if Venom taking Halloween's release date was part of that somebody knows something that hasn't been released to the public yet. Yeah. I'm wondering if well, uh, if thing. Sony knew Universal had decided on this and Universal was just waiting to, to say it, but who knows? That jam-packed October doesn't look so jam-packed right. anymore. Dune is on the 22nd. That is going day and date. Halloween Kills is on the 15th. That is going day to day. And now Venom and Bond basically could play the whole month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're going to dominate the box office that month in movie theaters. Yeah. While these other movies dominate the viewership at home. So that's how Paramount and NBC Universal is handling what they have to offer in the immediate future. What about what Disney has to offer in the immediate future with regards to Disney Plus? Fascinating that Disney has now committed to a 30 or 45 day window <laughs> for Eternals, for West Side Story, which they own somehow, again, <laughs> stuff we've covered, the, the King's Man, and The Last Duel. Those are all getting 45 day windows. And Encanto, which is a surprise and something that Mr. Baloney wrote would anger the Pixar folks. Encanto mm. is getting a 30 day exclusive theatrical window before it goes, I believe, directly to Disney Plus, but I'm not quite sure if it's getting the you know, premium VOD treatment. I don't think so. I think it's going directly to Disney Plus after 30 days. So, I mean, not that surprising considering the pile of money that they just fell ass backwards to with Shang-Chi. I, I mean, yeah. it, it's infuriating, but they thank God that a little can-do company like Disney keeps catching those badly needed breaks at the box office. 
but Shang-Chi proved that people are at least willing to go to the movie theaters right now for content that's worth spending money on, quite frankly. No other way to put it. So this is the play with Disney right now. They're going to try to just lap up all those box office dollars that are out there until, and, you know, with the caveat of, if COVID gets worse, they may redirect. I think they know what they could make with the PVOD. Yeah. Right. They they know that now with jungle with all these yeah. tests it, when it's a streaming bubble, right? So they know like the ceiling on that. I th- they have an idea, a very good idea. So m- they might as well try for the tentpole box office. I would say first, because they can always go that window later, or they could boost their subscriberships by using a thirty day window for Encanto, like 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 this. So. It makes sense. They also got Hawkeye and the Book of Boba Fett and Miss Marvel all coming in 2021. So they don't, again, the content caught up. Mm. The content caught up for the streaming services at HBO Max and Disney Plus. They're not necessarily worried about, you know, everybody jumping ship because the next five original movies are going to go to movie theaters first. I think they're well established anyway. They know they're number two in the streaming game yeah. as it is. Uh, those are coming out 2021 or all 2022? I know Hawkeye's 2021. but Supposedly all 2021, uh-huh. I believe. Okay. I, last I checked. So, yeah, they got they got stuff in the pipeline for Disney Plus subscribers that I can't, like, not be subscribed to Disney Plus. Yeah. I have to watch those shows. I think that's a common theme amongst many people that uh, have Disney Plus right now. Talk about the London Film Festival, Mike. All right, I just wanted to cover this story because we tweeted about the fact that they only had, or we retweeted uh, women in Hollywood. They they were righteously upset mm-hmm. that there was only one gala presentation yep. at the London Film Festival. It was going to be the pow- Power of the Dog. Excuse me if it was a special presentation or a gala. But they've added seven more female-directed galas, and they've added another five special presentations. No, I have it reversed, but 12 more female-directed movies getting the red carpet treatment at the London Film Festival. So that's great to hear. Great to see the course correction there. And as for the London Film Festival's overall numbers, 39% of films are from female and non-binary directors slash creators or co-directors slash creators with 40% made by ethnically diverse directors slash creators. Uh, that's what the BFI said per deadline a couple days ago. Happy to see that. And it's one of the rare times where it's not a, you know, what the hell took so long. They seem to correct this pretty immediately because we were just talking about those galas and special events a few weeks ago. Yeah. So it's, it's hopefully something that is catching up uh, and uh, straightening out at the film festival level. And you know, we again props to Venice, props to London. It's getting better. Needs to needs to even out, but it is getting better. The harder they fall, that's a movie we're looking forward to. I believe that's debuting there. It's opening the festival on October sixth. Tragedy of Macbeth will be opening the New York Film Festival, so we'll have first reactions for you there. But it's also going to close London on the seventeenth. Otherwise, all the big names are pretty much going there: Belfast, Lost Daughter, Titan, King Richard, Spencer Flea, French Dispatch, Last Night in Soho. So we're going to continue to get buzz out of London for that festival. Michael BAFTA has new rules mm. for director and acting. This is from Ben Dalton and Louise Tut of Screen Daily. Here are some of the rule changes they describe. Quote, the top two performances in each of the four acting categories in the first round of voting by the acting chapter will be automatically nominated. Hmm. That's a mouthful is what that is. 
Yeah, but that's going to matter because now we have a different rollout with BAFTA. We have long lists, and then I believe we have the uh, branches voting. Mm-hmm. But then we it goes into 7 to 12 person committees to get to the nominations. Now, because of last year with Olivia Coleman of The Father and Carrie Mulligan of uh, Promising Young Woman getting snubbed, and basically that was their only snub, mm-hmm. or one of their only snubs, BAFTA's worried about the nominations getting too wonky. So the whole branch is going to vote for their two favorites, and those are going to be automatically nominated. Then the the small committee of 7 to 12 people are going to basically choose the other three to whatever. Do they have eight? They have more nominations, three to four. Well, here's my, and, here's my question about it. Is it going to matter when we know, I mean, you're going to try and tell me the BAFTAs? nominating bodies don't have the British actors and actresses at the top of their fields every year with their nomination history anyway. So the BAFTAs are going to choose their two favorite white people. (laughs) Those people are going to be nominated on the BAFTA stage. I mean, maybe it'll make a difference. Maybe I'm being too snarky. That's been a common theme of me the last couple weeks, especially. Yeah, everybody's going to be mad at us. Another one of those episodes where... Whatever. The director category at the BAFTAs. (laughs) (laughs) The number of automatic long list spots from directing chapter votes has been reduced by one for both men and women. So what does this mean? This means the top seven male and seven female directors will be automatic long listed with the remaining three male and three female directors chosen by the long listing jury it's gonna force them to even it out now again you just wish this would happen organically it's not yeah but if it's not i mean this is a a good way of at least striving for equality without quota filling necessarily i mean it's it, it's even across the board yes there is a definite number but that number is kind of by happenstance if your list is going to be 17 names long anyway you know we've, we've covered it a hundred times it's a systemic problem where male directors are getting huge budgets and female directors are making indie films up till now right i mean that's mm-hmm. the problem that's the, the ultimate problem so you could say whatever you want to say at this point as bafta and and even it out and it's it's a noble gesture. The problem's got to get fixed on the studio. Yeah, the problem starts before the the, the film starts production or pre-production, even. You exactly. Know, that's, yeah, so I agree. That's that's sort of the problem. Right, but anyway, the WGA other guilds have been added to the calendar, so this is very much an Oscar race checkpoint today because we have an updated award season calendar, Michael, that we're going to rip through here. We're kicking off October twenty first with the Gotham Noms. And the Gothams are going to be held on November 29th. So we get a little taste of award noms. And as usual, the Gothams kick things off. In November and December, we'll have a ton of critics associations. Those awards will be ripped. You know, they go throughout the season, mm-hmm. but they'll go into 2022. But that's that's the end of this year, critics awards. The Critics' Choice Awards, those are going to happen January 9th. Those noms will be announced December 6th. So uh, it seems like uh, early December is when all this really starts in earnest. We'll be coming off the Gothams and going into Critics' Choice noms. And then the Guild noms start. So in January, we'll get BAFTA long lists and Guild noms. 
and the academy voting will occur from the end of January, early February, the 27th of January to the 1st of February there. And then we get to the crisscrossing with these awards. So if you're not confused yet, just wait till the time comes. February 3rd <laughs> is when we get BAFTA noms. February 8th is when we're going to get Oscar noms. And then the rollout of the big precursors uh, will be also much different this year as far as the Guild shows go. Much different. So think about it this way. We get Oscar noms. The next big thing we get, next biggest thing, because we're getting all the Guild awards coming out. The Ace Eddies, I believe, is the first of the, of the things mm-hmm. that happened. But we have PGAs first. So we're going to have a best picture idea on February 26th. And after that, we have the SAGs. So potentially, the way this award season's playing out, the last hour of the Oscars, if there are sweeps, could be settled <laughs> on February 27th, and we'd have to wait until March 27th for the Oscars. Or, fuck. Or, <laughs> or uh-huh. they hire Steven Soderbergh again, and it, nobody knows what'll happen on the Oscars night, and he'll screw up the order. And the Oscar for oldest headshot goes to. <laughs> They just found Anthony Hopkins on the side of a hill somewhere in Scotland and pointed a camera at him, asking him to turn around and say something nice. It's like a hostage video with some goats in the background. Uh, the Directors Guild and the BAFTAs are the following weekend. Those will take place on the 12th and 13th of March, respectively. The Indie Spirits will be a week prior to them. Those take place March 6th. So Indie Spirits, March 6th. So to recap, the, the Guilds and other awards here, PGA is the 26th. SAGs the 27th, Indie Spirits, March 6th, the uh, Directors Guilds, and BAFTAs on March 12th and 13th. Right. And finally, we have the Oscar winner voting begins March 17th. The Writers Guild will be that final precursor. Again, that's weird, isn't it? March 20th. It's usually the BAFTAs. What amazes me is the complete resilience to working in concert with one another amongst the guilds and award shows. Oh, against, they're against it. Like, reach Third. out to one another, man. <laughs> talk, get in a room and talk to each other and fix this fucking shit, uh, it's, please. It's cra- what yeah. are we doing? I, I don't I don't understand the point of it, but all right. Uh, we, you know, we just yell into these microphones and keep trying to make this stuff at front of mind for people who care about it. We have fun with this, and you still get us angry. <laughs> we we <laughs> do this year-round, and we love it, and you still get... Uh, God damn it. All right. Uh, the Oscars, of course, are on March 27th. Okay. All right, let's change gears. We got some fun trailers. Maybe we should take the blue pill, huh? Sorry. <laughs> we should not take the blue pill. We should just find any pill that is red and take it. Now, that's that's the danger here, right? People, you're real passionate no, fans. No, no, that's appropriate. Go ahead. <laughs> Jefferson Airplane's White Rabbit for that Matrix Resurrections trailer via Grace Slick. Wow. How simple I just, is this, Mike? Oh, one of the best trailers of the la- of our podcast, I would say. If you don't have a cover of the original song that kicks mm-hmm. all of the ass, just play the original. This is, I, I'm sure licensing fees have a lot to do with it. It's genius by WB to just have White Rabbit playing in the back. That's exactly what happened here. White Rabbit tall Alice when she was just small. Grace Slick's haunting voice. A perfectly ahead of its time tune nestled perfectly amongst the red and blue pills some 50 years after it hit the radio airwaves. It gave me goosebumps, quite frankly. Maybe it's because I was just starting high school when 
you know, the Matrix came out and this was like right in my wheelhouse. But all my nostalgia nerve endings just went wild yeah. at this trailer. I thought they like I tweeted they perfected the sequel reboot marketing mm-hmm. campaign here because mm-hmm. I think they did. I agree with you. Um, my only question when watching this trailer is it was nice to see Neil Patrick Harris. Do you think Neo slits his throat at the end of that scene in the movie? Or do you think Rosamund Pike <laughs> just pops up from behind his chair to do it when we're least expecting? <laughs> yeah, I'm just not going to comment on that because it's a spoiler for a movie I really like. But you oh, they know it by now. How, if they yeah, listen they to us, know. they know it by now. Anyway, uh, that's great. Uh, 99, we had The Matrix with so many shots paid homage to in this trailer. Uh, you, from meeting Trilogy with this, you know, uh, the the light from the guns of the SWAT team, that's a different character in this. We have the rooftop scene, but this time, no cable. You got the Yahya Abdul-Mateen playing young Morphe- yeah. Morpheus, yeah. training Keanu again. Love that. Jonathan Groff, is he the Agent Smith but younger for whatever reason. Did this not do exactly what a trailer should? Do? We have no answers. I have no idea who is the he new, the architect. I don't know who the what his role is. I don't know who the new agent is. Where's agents? Where are the agent Smiths? Are they new agents? What happens there? Uh, there's tons of questions left in this. That's what a great, great trailer should do. Draw me in, man. But let me ask these questions. So many questions, and it's been really cool to see the internet just burning up mm-hmm. with Spider-Man No Way Home theories, with Matrix Resurrection theories. I'll save you guys, you know, the Easter egg videos that I all watched on YouTube. Watch those if you want. If you don't, it's up to you. But uh, I definitely, I can't wait for this movie. And I was down yeah, you were. on them rebooting The Matrix in our conversations together, yeah, Mike. Yeah, you were. Um, there's still reason to worry, I think, despite how great this trailer was. And if there is, we'll find it. Yes, go, go on. <laughs> Especially today. <laughs> I always drop words like intrigued and interesting and whatever else synonyms to talk about various facets of upcoming films that speak to me when we do these trailer reviews. I, I genuinely feel that so few films have been able to perfectly encapsulate modern technology and our societal addiction to it. And I'm not sure there's any movie being made or made up to this point that needs to get it right more than this fourth Matrix movie that comes out not only 20 years after the third movie, so it's been a long time already, but for a franchise which was so reliant on technology and a time frame since the last movie that saw the rise of iPhone, streaming, parasocial relationships, all those things going on. Like, in short... We all have literally entered the Matrix in the time since the Wachowskis told us we were going to enter the Matrix 20-some-odd years ago, with the lone Mm -hmm. caveat being that we haven't gotten to the giant robot worm phase yet. So I'm very curious to see how this is going to be handled in the movie, because phones are the pivot point for the Matrix franchise. I mean, they were the ticking clock, they were the escape, they were the MacGuffin at times. There's few Mm -hmm. modern appliances which played such a pivotal role in any other lucrative franchise as the phone and the cell phone did in the Matrix franchise, and the cell phone has kind of rendered what we know about how the Matrix works a little useless. I mean, don't forget, Trinity was flying back and forth through a payphone in the first movie. That's right. Yeah, it's going to be... It's going to be a little different this time, even though this one's back in time. Like, I don't get it. I don't get the time. Like, he's older in the mirror. Is Yeah, he's I don't know. He's older in person. He's older in the mirror. And yet we got prequel characters involved. Like, this is 
this is almost a critique on the requel, prequel, whatever sequel business reboot thing we're doing in Hollywood in general. But it's all also doing it to perfection. Very, very excited to see this, even more so than I was. Uh, maybe the exact opposite type of trailer as to what the Matrix trailer gave us was the latest trailer for Red Notice. All right. So <laughs> director Rawson Marshall Thurber has now directed The Rock in three films, Skyscraper, Central Intelligence. He's made some funny movies. Dodgeball was funny mm-hmm. back in the yep. day. I don't know if it's lasted, but We're the Millers, still kind of funny. Mm-hmm. This is The Rock. This is Gal Gadot. This is Ryan Reynolds. Of course, The Rock would tackle Ryan Reynolds through a most likely priceless stained glass window there. Uh, of course, we're making the bull the teller at the China shop. Hey, this is a very yeah. delicate. This is a very delicate operation where we need to stop the world's most right. Uh, you know, foremost thieves of stealing the most priceless artwork that is. If they get, you know, if you breathe on it, it will be <laughs> rendered. Off, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he's in there throwing people through mm-hmm. windows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Getting bridges blown Being up. Being the rock. <laughs> but we don't care because the three hottest people on the planet are flirting with each other. This movie should just be titled Shut Up, These Three People Are In It. <laughs> like, that's. There's no bigger, like, just shut the... F- These are three gorgeous humans that are A-list actors that we're all lucky to see working together. Just shut up and enjoy the explosions. The, the movie should be called Shut the Fuck Up. Yeah. It's The Rock, Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> right. and Gal Gadot. Right. And I, it's it's close to having that title anyway, because the premise we get in this trailer is absurd. Who cares? Like, yeah. Gal Gadot and Ryan Reynolds are tagged with the Red Notice, right? And that makes them the world's most wanted criminals. But only... One person can bring them in. <laughs> so not the world's most wanted criminals then, right? Or is, right. is Rocky just unclear about what the Red Notice actually does? I'm just shocked there's not a Skarsgård in this movie that they're all going to team up against. Because <laughs> like, we know that's coming too, right? I mean, there may be. He's Doomsday. They just actually put Doomsday in the movie, played by a Skarsgård. It's coming. Uh, look, there's several glimpses and clips of what appear to be enormous set pieces. I mean, there's car chases, there's bridge explosions, there's the Louvre, there's ballroom (laughs) dancing, there's just sexual... (laughs) It's the horniest trailer I've ever seen. I loved every second of... And it's not even just Gal Gadot being the lady in... Like, Ryan Reynolds and The Rock are flirting with each other. It's hilarious. (laughs) It's gonna work. We know it's gonna work. But you're right. It's just... It's just a trailer that we've seen a hundred times before, but Netflix is like, all right, we're doing this now. What do you think that would make in a regular year for box office? If it was released in, if it was a universal property with these three, no COVID. No COVID? Yeah. Regular year. 60 million. I mean, I don't think it's the IP. For the opening, you mean? Yeah. The IP makes the hundred plus million, but it could be the start of new IP. And that's what Netflix is in the game of. We talked to Andrew enough to where they're, they want to make five Red Notice movies if they have their druthers. Um, so this could They start will, that. I think. <laughs> I have faith in them. I've seen what they think about their debt sheet and carrying debt. It, it looks it looks like a hit. I mean, yeah. even though I mean, it gonna, looks like a stupid trailer, but it looks like something we'll watch immediately. Of course. So we, yeah. As for something uh, one of us may watch immediately, Mothering Sunday, Michael. <laughs> It's about Miss Jane Fairchild, aspiring author and sexual partner of season five's Prince Charles, against his parents' wishes, of course. Uh, 
which is the backbone of every British drama. It's confusing, however, because his mummy is played by his real mum, the Queen of England. But his daddy is played by the guy who won an Oscar for playing his grandpapa, King George, a.k.a. Bertie. So I'm very confused. So stupid. I don't care. Colin Firth, Olivia Coleman, Josh O'Connor are in Mothering Sunday, which apparently, if you listen to all the reviews at Cannes, if you listen to all the reviews uh, at these film festivals, it's just softcore porn for most of it. <laughs> I'm back in. All right, I'm listening. It's just all. It's just constant sex. I, I don't know. I that's what I hear. Uh, cinematography looks gorgeous in the trailer. Looks like a dream. There's going to be nudity throughout. How are you not there on opening night? This is the type of movie you will force me to watch as torture. (laughs) Here's a rule of thumb if you haven't caught on to MMO by now. (laughs) If the trailer is mostly violin music, probably not something I'm going to gravitate towards naturally. In that it's probably a foppy British fair. And like yeah. I get it, I like I, I long robes, bad teeth, candlelit rooms. I get it. I'm aware of the aesthetic. I understand. <laughs> I would have if I were not doing the show with you. I would not see this movie. Ava Hus- Husan is the director. Alice Birch of Succession, Normal People, Lady Macbeth is the screenwriter. Uh, she introed Florence Pugh into the world, and we have Odessa Young, Mike, who is our standout lead actress of 2020, high up. Mm. on our best lead actress list for most of that year after holding her own, more than holding her own, as a protagonist against Elizabeth Moss in Shirley. So this is yet another feather in her cap as a leading lady, Odessa Young. What is the conflict? They're not supposed to be having sex because Colin Firth scowls a lot? Because classism, yes. Another goddamn parasite all over again. All right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're probably going to hate this. But they're beautiful people and they're... I don't know. They should fucking red, red notice, too. <laughs> Please be rated NC-17. Please be rated. The guilty, Michael. All right. This trailer looks like it's going to be the original. The original movie was just the camera on one character. This looks like they're sticking with that aesthetic. They're sticking with that quote-unquote gimmick. Mm. And Jake Gyllenhaal is just going to be on every frame of this film, you know, as a 911 operator in Antoine... Uh, Fuqua's movie, and the people in the office are going to be Ethan Hawke, Paul Dano, Peter Skarsgård, Riley Keough, maybe some of them are voices on the phone, but Bill Burr? I hope Bill Burr is just a strange voice on the phone, by the way. And Divine (laughs) Joy Randolph, we have... I can't get my cat out of the oven! (laughs) He just flubs every line. It just sounds ridiculous. Uh, But look, there are no small parts, right? So... Jake Gyllenhaal could lead this thing, and everybody else could just have a walk-in role. It is an absolutely loaded cast. Uh, not that the last one wasn't. I was doing that more for effect, but this is uh, <laughs> a loaded cast. I do wonder if this is going to be like Gyllenhaal's uh, castaway moment, where it is going to be all him, all camera. People have seen this one. Uh, they say it's a, a performance piece, a vehicle for Gyllenhaal. I don't know that that's going to be enough for... Oscar standards, but I'm very excited for it. I've still yet to see the original, so I won't know how it stacks up. You have seen the original. Are you just as excited for this one? The story has the goods, so I, I think it'll work. I don't want to rewatch the original beforehand, so that's that's a, a gun again, another good sign that I want to watch The Guilty when it comes out on Netflix. So Netflix doing their job, man. Good marketing this year, yeah. really good marketing. Even with this, our cynical take on Red Notice, 
but that's that's more of an us problem than a them problem. It doesn't matter. It's going to make a jillion dollars for them, so matter. that's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Yeah, I we're going to watch it. I mean, we're idiots. We're, <laughs> we're going to watch it. We're idiots. That should be the new slogan of MMO. Michael, speaking of we're idiots, yeah. we watch Malignant, and we're going to do a quick non-spoiler review, and then we have to. We have to talk spoilers for a hot minute or so. But a quick shout-out. So worth on Netflix yet again. Another movie you can watch at home right now. Very good. I'm glad they held that for the anniversary there. Good. Uh, I'm Your Man was okay. I saw that at a festival already, virtually. That's the uh, uh, Dan Stevens German film about him being everybody's... uh, Man? Ideal man. Ah, all right. Anyway, two quick setups into Malignant now. Okay, Oscar's perspective. There is none, or should we... All right. Well, can we say this? The stunt work here is pretty dang good. I wish. I mean, yeah, I don't know how much more interesting would it get. I I know the Oscars, the Academy likes to rely on VFX and throw popular films in there, too. But get stunt work and you'd have a chance for something like Malignant to be an Oscar. Look, if the first Suicide Squad movie is an Oscar winning movie, that's fun. That makes the Oscars fun. It makes it, it's fun to remember that that happened. And it's fun to talk about that and joke about that. Totally. Malignant could be an Oscar-nominated movie if stunts were an ensemble. Because I agree with you, there's the stunt work in this is top tier. Otherwise, if I'm stretching, and this is we're going to talk about this in a minute, costumes, makeup, and hair essential to this film. Very, I agree. Really well done. The VFX they had to use a lot of computers to get Allison Brie out of the film <laughs> and CGI. <laughs> Annabelle Wallace's face into it, so the that's stubbornness the for you with that shtick is is amazing. I'm very proud that you're keeping that going. I hope one, it keeps going. One of the great mysteries in Hollywood history <laughs> solved here at Mike, Mike, and Oscar. All right, this movie is fun. Yes. It is disgusting. It is schlock horror. Wait, okay, which... I wanted to ask you about that. I don't mean to cut you off, but I honestly disgusting. don't have anything written down for this, so I'm just going to jump in. <laughs> so, how were you? able to take this movie but the one piece of skin peeling back on the candy man hand in the that trailer was enough to freak you out this movie is way more gory and violent than candy man well a i am invested in the candy man characters even at a trailer level whereas i could just say if that's not allison brie i don't give a fuck sorry annabelle <laughs> wallace okay good to know no, I, I am invested in those Candyman characters more, and it's it really is like picking a scab. That is something that's realistic, but this is not realistic to me, and that's, that's I would like, I would agree with that assessment of this movie. Yes, <laughs> this is a big, gross, scary horror spectacle, and James Wan delivers that and more. So I. Like, I give this a B grade because it's just so over the top. I have to recommend a watch. I was not ready for that when I clicked play on this movie because nobody had seen it until the night before. They held it from everybody. I don't know if that was wise or not. We're going to get into spoilers in a second, but do you you recommend this movie to people? Well, it's an action giallo. That's the first thing I was right about. (laughs) (laughs) The second thing I'll talk about in spoilers, but... Look, I'm getting angry that schlocky horror movies are becoming crowd favorites for so many people. And that's a me problem. And I'm very aware of that. 
But I got bitter by how many people were singing the praises of this movie because this is like what Halloween 6 was back in the 90s. Like, it's so over the top and so ridiculous. It's got better performances and obviously the VFX. All the accoutrement that makes a film is top-tier stuff. Yeah. But this should be for me. (laughs) And I'm angry that it's not. I mean, you knew going in this was going to be a big studio movie, right? Yes. Yes. So you, yeah, you're you're a little upset that a big studio movie is making a niche horror spectacle. No, I'm upset that people are appreciating it. <laughs> <laughs> I want more of these movies, but I want the consensus for them to be what they've always been. This is this is a watch, especially if you're a horror fan. Yeah, this is a good version of one of those movies. Okay, agree. Spoilers ahead. We'll see you next episode. You know all our stuff. Otherwise. Uh, don't listen to this. Do not yeah. listen to this if you have any yeah. uh, desire to watch Malignant or take our ref- your recommendation and just you know fast forward. Don't listen to this until yeah. you've seen Malignant. You should see Malignant. If you're a fan of us, you will be a fan of Malignant. I Agree think. on all counts. All right. Spoilers right now. Mm-hmm. Michael, yes, this started out as an action giallo. <laughs> this did not... Stick to an action Jallo, whatever the fuck is Jallo is. I don't think we either of us know right now. I, that's the joke. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that the woman falls through her ceiling. Right? Yes, that, that was, was great. A gra- after you had the chase through the underbelly of nineteen twenties London, <laughs> for some reason in Hollywood, California. Chase scene of Gabriel versus cop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Jack the Ripper was going to jump out of one of those corners, which is probably not 19th century. It's probably much <laughs> earlier than that. I suck at history. Anyway, the fact that we knew and our eyes were rolling that she was also the murderer in the trailers, that was the setup. Our yeah. simple theory didn't go far enough. No. We did not predict no. an attached, evil, malignant twin. Mwah. Say that sentence again. (laughs) We did not predict that. That was brilliant. The fact that she was Quato from... (laughs) She was a surgically removed Quato from Total Recall is so brilliant and is so funny. And is the fact that they kept that shtick going with all... like It's in the posters. If you look at a Malignant poster, you could see the fucking spoilers of the movie that we didn't catch on to. It's all right under our nose, and that's the mark of a great reversal, yes. a great surprise. So to have to have that whole setup, and then to have, hilariously, the sister going to the evil castle. <laughs> oh, this just happens to be abandoned. <laughs> Prime Hollywood real estate that nobody gives a damn about. <laughs> We're just going to have this castle, abandoned castle, Giant there. foreboding castle on the edge of this one-way street. All the VHS tapes still available to them. The setting of And Then There Was One, yeah. (laughs) She finds the VHS tape with the Gabriel, with the case study that they were all working on there. It's all just right there for you, baby. Halloween 6 beginning to this movie, right? (laughs) So I'm rolling my eyes at this movie. I really had a hard time paying attention for a while. Then we started texting about it. And then I was like, all right, I got to restart the movie. Then I just like, I'm like, fuck it. I'm just, let me power through and watch it. 
I was glued to this movie <laughs> at this point. Once you turn around and you see the full spectacle <laughs> of that evil Quado Gabriel twin, I was hooked. That was the best finale I've seen in a horror movie in a while. I loved every second of it. And then you get just a delicious fight, just a kill sequence of her fighting backwards, which is why the stunts are so remarkable so in the so costumes. Good are so great kicking Zoe Bell's ass, who of course we know is one of the best stunt people in the business Mm -hmm. from death proof and the Tarantino films. Everything that happens in the jail cell and the police station (laughs) is amazing. It's so good. I mean, that's, I put that sequence up there with any action movie I've seen quite frankly. It's so good. It's like truly matrix level stuff. And we're, we're watching it with the relish of "you got me, you bastard." Right, right. That's because we're we're basically just enjoying the fact that James Wan surprised us mm-hmm. all throughout that. So it's an added element of fun. And the threshold of that twist being so ridiculous, but still, we're just like, "Oh, okay, that that I'll, I'll guess that makes sense enough." The pe- fact that that twist is able to pass that threshold in like the majority of our eyes is really a testament to James Wan and his filmmaking abilities. Um, how did that girl get through? high school, college, sexual (laughs) endeavors, anything without somebody catching on to, you have an evil twin on the back of your head? Yeah. Or in your brain? Is there an evil twin there? It seems like there might be an evil twin in your brain or your back of your head. Is that a giant scar? (laughs) Gabriel seems like a type A personality. (laughs) He probably would have reared his literal ugly head. Right. Right. So before. I have questions, is what I'm saying. <laughs> but who cares? It was worth it. No, it, it was, was totally, worth it totally fun. To get not Allison Bree turning into backwards fighter, martial arts demon. Love Fighting it. backwards. And, and the camera did a good job, too, of making sure you saw her head, which was now the back of Gabriel's head during the fight sequences. <laughs> Annabelle Wallace's. I don't know if that was practical or if that was CGI or what it was, but just this blank stare with her eyes still kind of open. Yeah. Uh, it's so good. So it's such good horror movie stuff in this. Yeah. Sleepy Allison Brie face. <laughs> I-, I loved it. Bobbing around like a rubber dummy mm-hmm. from a 1990s movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely loved it. It's just schlock perfection horror movie bullshit i wonder how this would have done in, in box office too i mean we know how the night house did this yeah. had similar intrigue and was probably focused at the same audience or similar audience the night house didn't do particularly well at holding an audience i don't know if this one would have i don't know if james wan would have gotten people in theaters on loan i don't know if the i mean the trailer we both agreed was kind of subpar and that seemed to be a consensus throughout film twitter as well so yeah. you know, it would have been an interesting case study to see how what drives people to the theaters uh, vis-a-vis this versus what happened with the night house and its box office, which was a theatrical exclusive. But that said, yeah, this is, if you're a horror fan, you got to watch malignant. You just have to. Well, that's the thing. Like I think the night house was more drama, you know, psychological horror expectation yep. though, I would say, but you're right. I think they, you both, you thought you were getting haunted house jump scare stuff. Right. Both of them, I would think. And I, I'm sure you would go in with, expectations that that was going to be very serious and heavy this movie you knew you were getting james wan stuff that brand conjuring whatever but the conjuring movies aren't taken at this level they're not taken at the shock level necessarily no they are not nor was sinister for that matter right so aquaman may have been (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is the aquaman of horror movies right here (laughs) 
right? It, it may very well be, yeah. I Aquaman mean. is dumb as shit, but we liked it. <laughs> Put us on more posters. Again, I'm second episode in a row. They won't. They just won't. Here's a pull quote. Uh, pull quote of Aquaman was dumb as shit, but I liked it for this movie on a poster. That's an honest critical review. Don't pontificate with all oh these my God. multi-syllabic no, yeah. words. Listen, I, I support it. I support <laughs> us being on more posters. <laughs> um, We want to know, as always, dear listener, what did you think about Malignant? What do you think about the planned award schedule? Any thoughts about any of these trailers or anything else we talked about in this episode? You can leave us those as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. We are at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on both Facebook and Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com, and on Reddit. We are available wherever you hear podcasts. And if you're listening to us on the Apple Podcast app, uh, if you'd be so kind as to leave us a five-star review those truly help us out we would be eternally grateful to you as we are to everyone who has done so thus far michael i mean you opened the can of words let's hope you don't have covid for the second time but that's going to put a wrench into what's coming next from us so let's have some good words of wisdom at least well yeah it's cry macho or bust i would say (laughs) (laughs) or we'll just do another review of malignant (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we should just pick something fun. We we don't know what we're doing next episode. Will enough news drop? Yeah, we're going to cover the TIFF Grolsch Audience Award winner. That's happening this weekend, I believe, so we will react to that in an ORC for next week. Hopefully, I'm able to get back into movie theaters next week. I do have a virtual film festival this weekend, so I'm not totally out of movies. But, yeah, it's it's... I can't see the eyes of Tammy Faye. So if you want to see the eyes of Tammy Faye, if somebody else wants to see it and review it, yeah. we'll retweet you, I guess. I, uh, I I may. I may venture out. If I know you're going to any theater, I won't. Any theater. <laughs> what if I just showed up Oh my again, God. Like I would, it, I'd be like the Kool-Aid man. You'd see an imprint of me in the wall as I'm trying to run away. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. I can't. I can't do that. I can't. Uh, it's a tough, tough spot there. But uh, yeah, interesting stuff coming down the pipeline. We're getting into the... Uh, the gooey middle of award season here with all these hits coming out and day and date coming out and theatrical exclusives coming out. And my yeah. God, what's going to happen with all these big names as we run down this 14 week stretch of chaos as it, as it is lining up though. It has gotten lighter as we talked about in this episode. Anyway, uh, as always guys, when reality sucks, you can come get ready for award season with us. We are Mike, Mike and Oscar trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. See ya. See ya.